I see where you're headed with this article. I see it. Where do you think I'm headed? Accounting firms <laughs> need to empower their employees to better serve customers yes. by either letting them work remotely, giving them mobility options, giving them the tools and apps they need exactly. to do their jobs. Exactly. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. It is December 29th, the tail end of 2019. We're coming up on a new decade, David. This is our last episode of the decade. And quite a decade it was. Um, I spotted this article in the Wall Street Journal about how technology has completely changed our lives in the last 10 years. And I was thinking back on this and I have to say, I agree. It's kind of amazing what has happened. The very first iPhone was what in? I think it was 2007. So 2010. So a decade ago, the iPad came out. Yeah. Like that, that, was, that kicked off the decade, the iPad. Mm. That, that, that's amazing to me. In, t- in 2009, Apple started selling the iPhone 3GS, which had a three and a half inch screen with a 480 by 320 display, less than half the resolution of a 20th century TV set. The hot feature was a built-in digital compass, and it cost $199 and it sold like hotcakes. And nobody would want one now. And now in 2019, we've got these phones with uh, displays that are uh, have higher resolution than our televisions and they cost a thousand dollars and they can do basically anything you want cloud computing wasn't really that much of a thing 10 years ago in 2009 cloud accounting was barely happening at that point i don't even know i mean it's pretty much desktop hosting right i mean was quickbooks online even the thing QuickBooks Online existed, but kind of the iteration of the platform and the app ecosystem was a, kind of reinvented around 2011, 2012. The big launch, the big push, the big tipping point was like November 2013. That's when Intuit really put a line in the sand and said, QuickBooks Online is the future, put 90% of the resource there, stop letting people build on uh, the QuickBooks desktop API version, and like really started pushing people towards the future. And zero. They were founded in 2006. Took them many years to gain traction, right? So at least a few years. So you could honestly say that this was the decade of Xero, QuickBooks Online, NetSuite Intact, all of these cloud apps. We had the Bill.com IPO sort of as like the the candle on the birthday cake. That caps off the decade. You're right. Yeah. It it is a, a SaaS app. That couldn't have existed without cloud accounting, which couldn't have existed without... In 2010, there was 1.3 billion subscriptions to the internet, people that had internet access, right? 1.3 billion. 1.3 billion and not 7.2 billion. Wow. Get all stacks, right? And you're right, the bill.com is the top. None of that would have been possible. Bill.com would not exist. And the, the um, subscription economy goes hand in hand with all of this. This Wall Street Journal article that I started with talks about how Netflix started streaming movies in 2007, but almost all of its growth took place in the past 10 years. And now we have all of these different services. I don't know about you, but I just finished watching The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, another subscription service that I'm going to be paying for for the next, you know, however many years until they stop making those. Uh, but not everything went up, right? Well, yes, uh, definitely. We had some digital challenges. Digital cameras. <laughs> Digital cameras. Digital cameras. It was at its peak in 2010. You know, it's funny. I I went to Phoenix for Christmas to visit uh, my family. We have a beautiful handheld camera, a camcorder, and I didn't bring it because I have an iPhone, which has, you know, 
a great camera. It's just, I'm going to use it. I'm not, I'm not pulling out the camcorder. Great example of that. Some other things that were interesting. Oh, uh, distracted drivers, deadly crashes because distracting drivers is up. We actually just bought a new car uh, yesterday. It has all of the bells and whistles with the electronics. It has a backup camera, not only a backup camera, it has a 360 view camera. So somehow it takes the the video from the side mirrors and the back and something in the front and stitches together a 360 degree view. So I can look at the car from the top on a screen and drive on like I'm in a video game uh, when I'm parking. You know, this is the world we live in. What what was it like 10 years ago? I can't even... I, I don't. Did we even have backup cameras most of the time? I don't even think so. I don't think so because I, I feel like people are still backing into each other in parking <laughs> lots, right? And now my car is going to alert me. Like it's almost foolproof. It's been it's been amazing, and here we are going into twenty twenty. It's amazing what is happening. So much fast changing stuff going on in tech, but also you know as we've talked over the whole year about very slow moving government agencies. The uh, profession can be slow moving. Think about if if you haven't been really paying attention over the last 10 years, how much has changed while you were just doing the same thing from the year 2010 to now 2020? Like how much passed you by? People used to not have to scroll, right? Now people are scrolling through social media for 34 minutes a day now. Just scrolling through social media. <laughs> it's a, it's it's what we do instead of watching TV, right? It's instead of zoning out and watching TV. Or we watch TV and then we have the phone too. And we do both sort of halfway at the, at the same time. I mean, no, I mean, podcasting, podcast existed in 2010. Okay. Yeah. The, I know the, the, they did exist. Maybe me and three other people that were nerds were listening to them. But like we, there would not be, right? This happened in the decade. There is now an accounting podcast, right? Like there's just been so much change. There's Instagram influencers. Those didn't exist a decade ago. That's right. Um, So I have a a kind of an add-on article to that uh, about seven technologies that did not uh, prove out in the last decade. So instead of talking about things that changed our lives, these things that failed. Things that age badly is the so it's a I'll read the the okay. article title. It's from a magazine site called E Consultancy. Seven technology and marketing predictions from the 2010s that aged badly. Well, hopefully we won't be on so, the one in ten years from now. <laughs> no, yes, exactly. Uh, so number one is QR codes are going to be the future of mobile marketing. Uh, that's funny. It was such a big deal. Everybody had QR codes everywhere, and now they're gone, completely gone. And if you don't know what those are, I mean, there's probably people listening who don't even know what QR codes because it happened and it was a thing that people tried to make happen and then disappeared. Well, they, they work. People use them. I mean, they're on your boarding passes. You use them. People are using them, but everybody thought they were going to be used for marketing. Like you'd have uh, yeah, a magazine, yeah. you'd open up and then there's a QR code and you'd pull out your phone because you're like, oh, that ad is so intriguing to me. I really want to go to that website now. Right. And I think what really passed on that is the, you just take a picture with Google and Google will just take you to that website. They'll just figure out what you're looking at. Yeah, or do you just say to your phone what you're looking for and it finds it for you, right? You don't need a QR code to do that. I, my favorite thing of, of, of QR codes, though, is they were invented in 1994. It's amazing. Like, it took another 10 years before they even got any traction at all. You know, it was 2004 and then and now they're already dead. Like you said, they're, you know, they, they got used for another purpose. Now it's our mobile boarding pass that you know, weird looking barcode thing on our mobile boarding pass. That's what your QR code or your, or your, uh, you know, the app you pay with at the store, if it's your Starbucks app or whatever, QR code. All right. So tell me some more. Augmented reality. So remember the Google Glass? Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, like, yes. What they call those guys? Glass holes. Glass right? holes. Yeah. <laughs> nobody's walking around with those. Hey, like nobody has. Nobody. Nobody's wearing Google glasses. The last time I checked. No. Although the car we've just bought has an augmented reality feature, David. It projects how fast you're going and the speed limit on the of the street on the road in front of you. So, oh, this, like a like a holographic pop up display. It's a heads up display. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It's kind of distracting. I haven't gotten used to it, so I kind of I, like I'll I'll try it and then I'll turn it off because it's just weird. But yeah, it's 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 there, like in the windshield. Maybe it will become more popular. I don't know. But yes, the the Google Glass thing did not uh, work out very well. So so here's another one that I thought was a good one. Uh, it says insert name of social network here. We'll kill Facebook. Nothing has done that. And it just lists. Uh, I don't even somebody that I don't know. Path, Ello, uh, Google Plus, um, Snapchat. Just this list of these other services that just never killed well, Facebook. Well, because Instagram was going to do it and then Facebook bought Instagram, right? So, yeah. solved the problem. <laughs> what about virtual reality? Is that on the list? It, it is. Virtual reality will go mainstream. No. Nope. Yeah, well, there's a the VR store or, I don't know, like an experience. A VR experience place just opened up at the mall. Well, I thought you were going to tell me about your car. No. <laughs> it doesn't have the VR <laughs> stuff. Uh, yeah, but... So the problem for me with VR is I just get nauseous if I do it too much. Have you ever tried like real good VR? Yeah, I just it's like, I think my nose is too big. The screen, the mask doesn't fit <laughs> on my face well. It's just not it's not a great experience. Still, yeah, uh, no, it's not good. So so this one is another one. Um, voice interaction. Everybody thought everybody's going to do things through voice. Everything search e-commerce, user interaction, and the latest data is like only 2% of people have ever bought something on their Amazon Echo. Yeah, right. Most people are just using it to play music, check the weather, very basic stuff. Yeah, it's barely getting used. Uh, mine hasn't been plugged in in months. It just sits there on the desk. As a you know wannabe tech guy, <laughs> I have all my lights, well, like three quarters of the lights in our house are hooked up to Amazon Alexa. And I can't ever get them to work correctly. <laughs> I mean, I can like most of the time. Uh, I mean, some of the, it's like eight, it works like 80% of the time, which is just not enough to make it like- That see, won't pass the wife test. Yeah. So, so my wife- That's the problem. She, freak, she freaking hates it. Like she, yep, yep. she's like, why did you do this? I just want a switch. I just want a dimmer, right? Like, <laughs> but my son <laughs> who's five, he loves it. And this is the amazing thing is that- uh, and I got to give it to Amazon for accomplishing this. It can actually understand a five. I mean, it started understanding him when he was three, four, five. Like it understands him very well now. And that's an amazing thing. Yeah. So, but it, yes, it has a long way to go, right? Because it, it doesn't understand meaning, right? It can't, it can't infer like exactly what you, you want it to do like a human being could. And it doesn't ask follow-up questions. It, it does stupid stuff. Like it's like you say, um, you know, Alexa, turn on the family room lights. And it says, well, you have lots of lights. Uh, which ones do you want? And you say family room. And it's like, I can't do that with the family room. What do you want? Do you want the lights? You know, st- just dumb stuff. Like well, that. it's very, it's very like DOS based computing in the eighties where you had to know what to say next. You have to give it the exact command is what you have to yes. do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the other one that I think that's an interesting one that is, I think ha- might even tie back to your car, but it says tablet compute tablet computing will explode. Oh, like as a replacement and for laptops? For laptops, oh. replacement for your phones. Everything's just going to be on this tablet. You'll have it with you all the time. Remember, people even mocked the iPad. They were like, it was a big telephone. People would be walking <laughs> around with it. And what happened is really cell phones just got stronger. Yeah. 
and it's big, a big enough screen and you don't really, you don't really need to have a tablet. And, but I, I kind of feel like I slightly disagree with this one because what's happened is I think of touch screens, mm-hmm. right? They're in your refrigerator now. They're probably in your car, right? Like, so in a way, like those are all tablet computing devices. So, so it's just not, it's not a replacement for your PC. Yeah, no, it's not a replacement to me. Like I, I use my iPad all the time and for, with a keyboard. So I have the keyboard case. And for me, it's a in-between device. So I'm at the table having breakfast. I read using that or I'll check social media using that. And then when I need to get real work done, like do emails and, and write and whatever I do, then I get on my work computer for that. But, you know, I'm not like putting my computer at risk, having it on the table with all the food and stuff like that. I don't know. It's it's like a, a an in-between spot. But it definitely didn't kill the laptop. Yeah, for sure. Although I hear really good things about Surface tablets now being a laptop competitor. Yeah, yeah. I've been eyeballing those, but it's essentially just a laptop. <laughs> it's a laptop that's just <laughs> Where the, the keyboard comes off, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but Microsoft's been trying that since the yeah. 80s, like to build this tablet thing. But I think they, you know, 12 iterations later, they finally, finally know, got to nailing that down. So, so we'll see a decade out. We'll see. We'll, we'll, you know, maybe desktop PCs will finally be gone, you know, <laughs> a decade from now. Uh, what else? What else happened? Uh, so that's it. That's it for, I think, the decade. You know, I think there's, uh, you know, all the stats. Decade's been interesting. Um, Some other things that happened. We had the really big sales tax ruling from the Supreme Court, right? The Wayfair oh, for this decision. Year. Well, I guess, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it was a little bit last year, but it really took effect this year, hot and heavy. But it took basically a decade for that to happen. Right? That's my argument because e-commerce had to grow to be so big in the economy. It took a long time for e-commerce to get to that point. You know, e-commerce had to grow to be a big part of the economy before states started to say, hey, where's my sales tax revenue? And so we got the Wayfair decision. The Supreme Court said states have the authority to make online retailers collect sales taxes, even if they don't maintain a store, warehouse, or other physical presence in that state. Uh, and so my publication of choice, apparently, for this episode, the Wall Street Journal, wrote a really great article talking about all these challenges that retailers have had adopting new technology to manage filing and collecting and and remitting sales tax to many, many, many states because something like, I don't know, 36 states now or uh, it's a a few dozen states are are requiring out-of-state retailers to now remit tax, right? And it can be pretty small amounts, right? It can be a few hundred sales or $100,000 in sales where you have to now collect and remit. Uh, And so there's some really good examples in here like this one store, Darn Good Yarn, Inc. I saw it in Clifton Park. <laughs> yes, which so. is the same place where uh, uh, what's, what, what, the payroll, My payroll HR was located. Yes, Darn Good Yarn in Clifton Park. They had, We're going to have to go there and really go and do a live broadcast in Clifton Park. There's so much happening there, Cloud <laughs> County really. So they're featured in this article and they had to hire a part-time CFO and they had to buy new software in response to this change. They spent... $25,000 this year to collect and remit just $90,000 in taxes on $5.4 million in sales to buyers in 34 states. It's a burden. This is, this is, it's an anti-small business law. $25,000 to collect and remit $90,000 in taxes. Like huge compliance costs as a percentage of the actual tax revenue. And it's only going – it's being split between 34 states. So it's like nothing to them. It's just ridiculous. Let's put this in perspective. Look at everything that's changed over the last decade. And still we have this crazy system where we've got 
dozens, hundreds, thousands of sales tax jurisdictions in this country. And we can't, from a legislative point of view, seem to figure this out and make it easier. So if I was a state and I wanted to grow, you know, my state, yeah. and I wanted businesses to move to my state, because these these numbers are fairly small, I would I would have a policy that, hey, if you're a small business owner, I will take care of at my state, let's say the state of Arizona, will take care of your sales tax liability for oh, all your other jurisdictions. So like, for you. we'll, just, we'll just pick up the bill. We'll pay your nine grand. That's pick up the bill for you. You just have to move your business to Arizona. David, that is genius. I love this idea. You should you should like make like propose this to some legislators in Arizona. The Yang Gang, yeah, the Yang <laughs> yeah. Gang might pick it up. Tweet it at at, um, at Andrew Yang. Yeah, I, I, I said so. Right, I'll bring this up to my local uh, representatives and, and uh, kind of go there down, down that path. Before we jump off this article, I wanted to share with yeah. you my favorite quote. So uh, another business owner in this article is Joe Wood. He's the owner of techwholesale.com, which sells two-way radios in all 50 states. Online store. He runs this company out of his bedroom. And he said it took more than a week to determine whether or not he had tripped any state sales tax requirements. It didn't. Uh, But he said, Joe Wood said, it's the single biggest moment of anxiety I've had business-wise in the last 10 years. We would have had to bring on an accountant, and I can't fit one in my bedroom. <laughs> There's a whole niche now. Right. Well, like virtual we need to t- somebody needs to reach out and explain to him that we've got this whole thing, cloud accounting, right? You can work with your accountant remotely. <laughs> you don't even have to, you come, don't have to come to your bedroom. Right? You just put tape over the lens of your laptop and you do your Zoom conversations, and you're good. I have one more decade story, though, if you're ready to – if you're done with sales tax. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk more about the past. The past. So this is um his name's Scott Greenberg. He's on Twitter, Scott Elliot G. Okay. And what I love about Twitter is people have to get to their point. So this guy summarized what happened in federal tax policy in the 2010s in seven tweets. So he covers the Affordable Care Act, the Tax Relief, the American Tax Payer Relief Act of 2012, Ways and Means Committee, um, the draft of the tax reform plan in 2014, protecting Americans from tax hikes of 2015, uh, when Paul Ryan released the Blueprint for Tax Reform in 2016. It's, it's great. So we'll have a link in the show notes, but everybody should just get to their point. It's, it's beautiful. He just has eight or nine tweets in a row, and he covers a decade of tax law. Well, hey, so while we're talking about regulations... Uh, something is changing in a few days that could have major implications for public companies. And it relates to cloud computing and potentially cloud accounting. So ASU 2018-15 is effective for public companies in their fiscal year beginning on or after December 15th, 2019. Oh, actually, so forget that. It already happened. ASU is an acronym for something? Counting standards up date. These are the accounting standards that are part of GAAP that the FASB issues. To sum it up, companies now have to capitalize certain costs associated with implementing cloud computing arrangements. So David, you have a business that makes a podcast and I'm going to sell you some amazing cloud podcasting software. In the past, you would have just paid me for that software on a, say, monthly basis or annual basis and would have expensed that right away. But now, because of this new rule, you're going to have to capitalize some of those costs the same as you would for internal use software if you built your own software. 
which is always parts that have always been capitalized. An example might be the setup fee. You can't just expense that right away. You've got to um, amortize that over the life of this subscription that you're going to have with me. So what does this mean? It might make cloud computing more appealing because the immediate impact on your bottom line is mitigated because you're, you're not expensing as much necessarily up front. You might be capitalizing a portion and then uh, expensing uh, or then amortizing that over time. I feel like I'm feeling I'm deja vu here. I feel like we've kind of talked about this in the past. Does it only affect like certain size businesses or certain amount of spend? So right now it's public companies only. Uh, private companies only, okay. don't have to comply until 2021, but they can early adopt. So well, pretty soon that guy, the poor guy in his bedroom there is going to have to deal with this. It'll be another headache. <laughs> the burden of this. What else? 2020 else? predictions or we We're gonna, we'll do predictions. Let's do predictions next week. Next for week. The new year. Okay. We'll do We're predictions and yeah, lots of prediction type stuff. Um, college football playoffs were yesterday. Did you happen to uh, catch those? Uh, no, I'm not really a sports guy, but maybe you can fill me in. So I was alerted uh, about something that happened during the football game yesterday. This is the college playoff football games. Mm-hmm. Jan Haugo, she's jazz fun on Twitter. She alerted me to a commercial for QuickBooks Live Bookkeeping. So we've been saying this for months that there will be a QuickBooks Live Bookkeeping commercial in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I think we're going to be dead right about this. And so maybe you can uh, put the audio in. I don't know if it's possible or not. But it's a Ghostbusters themed. <laughs> so do you remember the secretary from Ghostbusters? Uh, you know, I haven't seen Ghostbusters in like 30 years, so. <laughs> okay. Well, she's in it. I think her name's Annie Potts. Okay. Is her, her's the actress. Yeah. And then Slimer, he's the, the, the ghost. Right, the, the ghost. Slimer yes, people. yes. He, he's in it as well. The premise is she's so, she has more free time on her hands now because she's using QuickBooks Live bookkeeping. So what does that give her free time for? Uh, to take a stupid marketing survey that she got a dumb phone call for, <laughs> oh, which okay. I thought was kind of funny. Um, and it's really uh, definitely makes uh, a push for the QuickBooks Live setup service that we talked about two episodes ago. Ghostbusters, of course, I'd love to take an informal poll. I used to be a little cranky. Dealing with our finances really haunted me. Thankfully, I've got QuickBooks and the live bookkeeper is helping customize it for our business. You're all set up. Great. Hey, you got the burnt marshmallow out. You're slimy. Tissue? Get set up right with a live bookkeeper with Intuit QuickBooks, the easy way to a happier business. They also have a Karate Kid themed one in the hopper. So it's looking like these are some 80s type movie commercials for QuickBooks Live that could be coming out. So I'm hoping there's like a Breakfast Club version. There's a bunch of bookkeepers sitting around in a in a library somewhere. That could be kind of fun. So this makes me think they're clearly trying to appeal to millennial Gen X business owners, right, of a certain age who like grew up with those films and they're going to get our attention with that. Interesting. Yeah, but they're not going to get just our attention. And so we've talked about this before. People are very upset because there's been advertising their clients about QuickBridge mm-hmm. Live inside the QuickBridge product. You know, there's messaging on the website. So I, I was able to find some uh, data from AdAge magazine. And so this is just QuickBooks data for the last 30 days of like their commercial runs. 734 million impressions. 734 million? So think about that. That's 734 million impressions of QuickBooks Live bookkeeping. Bookkeeping is getting – the word bookkeeping and bookkeepers are getting 
attention. Sorry, I just I just want to clarify. Impressions means generally like people people saw at least a portion of this ad. Exactly. Yeah, the commercial was in their face on TV. And so, if, if for those of you who still don't think Christmas Live is going to be a big deal, it's going to be a big deal. I, I think we are going to see a Super Bowl ad of some type. For for, for which is great, right? Like bookkeeping is the need, like telling the world. And small business owners, you need a bookkeeper along with your QuickBooks. It's kind of a big deal. You know, it's, I think it's going to raise the boat for everybody, but it's a, it, it's a massive message that's going out there. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel a little behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds. A great app from an established company that's providing payroll for over 30 years in all 50 states. OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll with simple, straightforward pricing, and it includes all their features. Employee self-onboarding, HR tools, health insurance, workers' comp tracking, and 401k. And with an accountant's dashboard and partner program, combined with best-in-class integrations with Zero and QuickBooks, OnPay is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees. They also handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, and employees with H-2A visas. I'm really excited to tell you that OnPay is offering an exclusive promo code only for the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast to get three free months of OnPay payroll service for any of your clients that you set up by February of 2020. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash onpay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. And use code CAP3FREE when you sign up your clients. That is CAP, the number three, F-R-E-E. And to be clear, you cannot get this promo anywhere else. It's only available to the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. So bringing it back to somewhat breaking news, I suppose. There, New, there, news coverage, right? Yeah. That's what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> there was one somewhat significant story over the holiday break. Not, not Fortunately, the world didn't you know, burn down while everybody was with their families and relaxing. But the Fed, the Federal Reserve, did have a glitch that delayed direct deposits to bank accounts. This was reported on CNBC.com. I think there was also an article on CNN. Uh, not a ton of coverage because it didn't end up being a huge deal, uh, but and we didn't see it till after we recorded last week. Even though it happened the day before we recorded, so, so this happened was, it was pretty quiet. This happened a week from a week uh, as we record this. What like ten days ago? So a quote unquote glitch at the Federal Reserve on Thursday delayed direct deposits and other financial transactions at banks across the United States. A statement from the Federal Reserve Bank Services said its automated clearinghouse network began experiencing a disruption on December 18th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This is a disruption in the ACH network, which is for transferring money or internet bill payments, direct deposits, especially payroll deposits, are often paid with ACH. The central bank said that payment files for December 18th were delayed, then completed, and did not comment on the cause of the temporary glitch. So that's that's all we know is there was a glitch, it got fixed, and then the payments finally went through. Like, like, I'm sick of the word glitch. Like it's constantly used for a plane crashes. It's a glitch. Uh, what was the the church that burnt down in France? Um, 
a glitch? <laughs> it was a glitch. They said it was a glitch. Like the fire, really? the, the fire alarm had a glitch. Yes. Wow. Like the, this, this no reporters aren't like pushing back. Like, can you please explain exactly what the glitch is? There's no such thing as a glitch. It's like you know, they, they see there's somebody messed up. It was a bug. Uh, maybe people thought it was Christmas and they put changed the date wrong. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason something did not work. Server crashed. Just give the real reason. Like glitch is not okay because. It trickles down, right? Because then I think I think I saw Gusto had to um, like they they were impacted. I imagine all the payroll processors were probably impacted, right? But they were the ones that were the most impacted users, because right? a lot of payroll processors support same day payroll now or next day payroll, and so for them, any delay was a problem because it would push it out to say the next day. So I think Gusto had to end up wiring funds for some customers in order to make it happen. But they they apparently did and got it all resolved. But yeah, there was a lot of um, ambiguous communication, right? People didn't know what was well, That was the on. first communication I think I saw it was Gusto's yeah. that was out there um, they beat it versus everybody else. And to, to make this worse, I imagine, because of the holidays. You already have banks that are closing. They don't do ACH deposits on the holidays, right. on the bank holidays. So, so, yeah, the domino effect of this could have it could have been a lot worse. But it'd be nice to know what the problem was, so people can avoid it in the future. Yes, glitch. Get very suspicious of the glitch. So, so speaking of the holidays, do you ever shop at Old Navy, David? Ever been in? I just shopped there yesterday. Oh, really? Well, in fact, did any of the employees pull out a phone? And use an app to help you in some way in the store? Uh, not at Old Navy, but I've had that happen at other Old Navy properties like uh, what's um, Banana Republic. Mm-hmm. I've had that happen there where they do it. And then uh, what's the Athletica? Athletica. Yep. That's uh, another Gap brand. Yeah, 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 yep. So the New York Times did a uh, profile on Old Navy, which is one of Gap's brands that is doing very well or relatively well. Gap. Uh, which owns what Banana Republic, Old Navy, of course, Gap itself, the flagship store, a few others I can't remember, has been kind of struggling, as as have many retailers, because e-commerce is on the rise. Traditional retailer, uh, traditional retail, Old Navy struggling. Yeah, well, well, no. So Old Navy is doing well. That's why this. That's why the New York Times wrote interesting, article. Interesting, because that's that's interesting. Because my my guess would be. The economy is really doing well right now yeah. that people would be like, I can buy clothes that are nicer in Old Navy, but the economy is bad. You kind of got to shop at Old Navy. Well, That would be my take. Well, I think it's kind of like the H&M thing, uh, although H&M had problems too. But uh, people like um, disposable fashion is the thing, right? So, you, you like cheap clothes you buy, you wear them like once or twice and you donate them. Right? That's like a, a thing that's been going on for a while. And Well, I think I learned that at Cooper's Connect from the founder of Rent the Runway. Half of all clothes wind up in a landfill. Within a year and a half or something. Right, because we have so many clothes that we can't even donate them because the homeless people don't even want them. There's so many clothes, right? Actually, I I saw this amazing uh, documentary about the clothes that we simply ship overseas now. It's it's just crazy. But anyway, so there's this this the trend right now is cheap, disposable fashion. Old Navy is one of those companies. They're actually doing fairly well. Gap is actually thinking about spinning them off into its own company. They plan to open 800 new stores. And so the reason uh, this article caught my eye is because the headline is, her job requires seven apps, she works retail. And I thought to myself, holy crap, the whole idea of app overload isn't just in professions like accounting. Right? Even retail workers have to deal with seven apps. half a dozen apps, more than half a dozen apps on their phones that they then use to uh, work with customers. And in the article, 
uh, they talk about. Does it say what kind of apps it is? Yeah. So, so there's an article called, or an app, there's an app called In Stock on Shelf, which helps people on the floor uh, look up if there is a product, you know, not in the back, but on the floor. There's a an app called Order in Store, which allows you to order something for a customer if it's not in the store. Uh, they can then order it from a warehouse to ship to the store or to the customer. There's an app called Sell, so you can actually just process an order. You can process a sale right on your phone, not have to take them to the register. There's one called Ship from Store, so you can ship something from the store to somebody who is not at the store. It's kind of crazy, right? But but this is one of the reasons that Old Navy is doing well is that they have empowered their entire sales force to do all this stuff that they used to have to go to a terminal to do or to a point of sale to do. And now they can do it on their phones anywhere in the store. And that is really helping to serve customers because you no longer have to redirect people. You no longer have to say, oh, go to the register and you know this person will help you. You can, you can actually help the person the whole way. I see where you're headed with this article. I see it. Where do you think I'm headed? Accounting firms <laughs> need to empower their employees to better serve customers yes. by either letting them work remotely, give them mobility options, give them the tools and apps they need exactly. to do their jobs. Exactly. And and the quote that I love in this article is from one of the old Navy store employees. Quote, our focus is getting more customers that come in to purchase more. What a great focus. And it's so great that an employee recognizes that because for most businesses, the problem is not getting the initial customer. It's the same thing for accounting firms too. It's not The problem is not actually getting the customer. It's getting your existing customers to buy more from you. If you could just get those existing customers to buy more, you could grow your business tremendously. And n- if the car dealership could have got you to buy two cars yesterday, oh, they would have doubled the revenue. Trust me, they tried. <laughs> <laughs> and cars, car dealerships are actually really good at upselling you, right? They they always try to get you the um, uh, so they, they they have you drive around in the model that has all the bells and whistles. Yep. And then uh, when you go to buy, the, well, the price that you see is the base price, and then to add all of the you know cameras and the lane assist and the adaptive cruise control and the heads up display. Every one of those things is an add-on. Do you see a lot of accounting firms that have a ton of add-ons like that? I'm not saying we should go to the car dealership model. I think that's a little extreme, but come on, at least try to get your customers to buy more from you, right? Another quote in the article, retail for the most part is not a place where they're looking for salespeople. They're looking for retail transaction enablers. So be an enabler for your clients. Give them what they want and then enable them to purchase more from you. And and, and be able to answer questions because that's yeah. something that happens at retail. It's a, you ask somebody for help, they're like, I don't know. And then they walk away and then they never come back. But if they have everything on their phone, they can actually help you. Yeah. So this all this makes a lot of sense. It, it makes perfect sense. So um, that's what we can learn from from uh, a failing well, industry such as <laughs> retail. <laughs> Take notes. Yes, Take one notes. of the six, one of the success stories uh, in retail, I suppose. So, do we have any other new current stories, or should we kind of just take a step back and talk about what we've covered this year? Our top stories. Oh, um, on that part. You know, I've always got more that I more than I can talk about. Um, let me just add one last thing before. Add I do one. That. Last week you added okay. one, and it was awesome. So, like, add this one. Okay. On. So this is this is my last story of the year. I, I'm a big fan of Ryan Lozanis's newsletter. Uh, future firm. Yep. Uh, I think it's the future firm top five. So he he emails out every week 
his top five stories. You know, I used to have a newsletter. That I, I see this as like actually a much better <laughs> version because he limits it to five. He he does a really great job of, of doing a synopsis of them. It's awesome. I used to have a newsletter too, but he actually gets it yeah, out. Yeah, he gets it out every every week. <laughs> every week. So anyway, if you want to read a great newsletter, uh, read Ryan Lazanis's Future Firm newsletter. You can subscribe at futurefirm.co slash top five. I want to highlight an article that he shared a few weeks ago that appeared in Accountancy Age. This is about UK accounting firms in the United Kingdom. It asks, are firms investing more in technology and how much are they investing and does it make a difference? This is of great interest, I think, to anyone who's listening that has a tech budget for their firm and wants to know, hey, what's going to happen if I increase my spending? Is it really going to give me more results? Am I going to generate more revenue? Well, in the UK, according to this 50 plus 50 ranking survey, which surveys the UK's leading practices, investment in technology increased year on year, rising from 0.93% of annual fee revenue to 1.37%. So across the full ranking of firms, Firms invested between half a percent to 1% of their fee income in new technologies. So half a percent to 1%. Now, among the top 25 firms in the UK, it's it's a bit higher. Uh, it can, could go up to 4% of annual fee income. So you know, there's a lot of room in there. But there is, this is the part that's really interesting to me, there is a correlation between investment in the new tech and an increase in growth. So the more you spent on tech, the more growth you had. Firms that spent over 1% of fee revenue on tech grew by an average of 9.73%, almost 10%, if you spent over 1% of your revenue on tech. Those who spent less only grew on average by 4%. So, not saying that this is, 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 it, the, is it the spending causing or is it just the mindset of that firm? And that's the thing. Is it correlation or causation? <laughs> I yeah. think either way, uh, it's probably worth it. To spend more, I would. Baseline, this is my takeaway from the survey. I don't know if this translates to the United States, but hey, it's not that different uh, in the UK versus here. I think firms should be spending at least 1% of their revenue on new technology investments. And hey, maybe even more because the firms that are growing twice as fast are doing that. So if you want to be like those firms, you got to spend more. So I actually killed an article but that relates. Um, it was uh, Microsoft had a survey out. And essentially, um, as your tech ages, you get more unproductive. More unproductive or more productive? More unproductive as your tech ages because it either breaks down, it's subject to viruses and ransomware, and uh, it's just slower. So your employees are uh, less productive. Yep. So, so, it's, so it really enforce, reinforces that point, right? You have, to have, you have to maintain some level of tech spending to have working tools. Yep. You can't just neglect your, your, your tech tools. Well, and, and look at this in comparison to the budget you have for other things, right? How much are you spending on marketing? I just spotted this survey from Bill.com and Hinge Research Institute. They analyzed data from 100 accounting firms across the US and found that the typical marketing spend among accounting firms is 1.5 to 3.1% of revenue. 1.5 to 3.1% of revenue. So that means, you know, if we, I don't know, just assume, let's assume that US firms are spending about the same as UK firms on tech, that, that means they're spending half a percent to 1% on tech. They're spending way more than that on marketing. 
And that to me seems, I mean, I'm a marketing guy, but that to me seems crazy. We should probably be spending the same on marketing and on tech because, you know, the marketing is all about getting those new customers, but how are you going to serve them well if you're not investing in the technology that's going to give them a great experience? Yeah, there's probably a churn, a churn number on the other end mm-hmm. of that somewhere. Well, and then again, going back to that story about the retail, right? It's all about getting your existing customers to spend more. And, you know, if you give them a great experience, make it easy for them to work with you, <laughs> they're going to come to you for more stuff, right? So it all kind of is a feedback loop. So that, that's all I got uh, for 2019. Uh, what are we going to close out with, David? Yeah, well, we've wrapped up, right? We've had, we've had, this is our first full year together. Full year. We did an episode every single week this year. Well, to be no fair though, we, we did start recording what, like at the very beginning of 2018, so it's almost been two years now. Yes. Yeah. It's almost been two years, but this is our full- Yeah. First like, full year together. Full year, solid year. Um, and I just was, you know, I think we should take a moment to just acknowledge some of the top stories we talked about this year. So uh, for me, I think the number one is QuickBooks Live, like has by far been the biggest story of the year. And it just keeps bubbling up over and over. Yeah. I mean, even this, it made this episode again, right? It continues to be the number one story well, um, this year. How could it not be, right? Uh giant multi-billion dollar technology company getting into accounting services. It's it's amazing. I'm I'm so eager to see what happens in the Super Bowl. Is this going to be an ad? What if they get tens of thousands of people wanting to sign up? How are they going to deal with this? Or what if what if there's a ripple effect? People are just asking their own bookkeepers and accountants, like, hey, can I get this service? Like, which ultimately they just want video chat. You you should have a response ready as a firm owner, right? If I were doing marketing for an accounting firm right now, I'd be buying like prepping up Google ads for QuickBooks Live keywords to steal business right? <laughs> from from Intuit. Well, even if you don't do that, just your landing page, your homepage probably should have some sort of screenshots of you doing a Zoom or a video chat with your client. Yeah, absolutely. So you're just really showing them, hey, we can do this type of stuff too. What's some other ones? Obviously, my payroll HR was a big focus for a good six, eight weeks, that fiasco yeah. with the fraud. Yeah. Um, Botkeeper was exciting there for a little while. We had uh, the Botkeeper news. That was a fun one. That was fun. Uh, ransomware, two, three different times, right? We've had to discuss about ransomware. We uh, we already talked about Bill.com. That was kind of the tip of the tip tip of the uh, the cake, as you or the candle is what you call it. Uh, we need a better analogy cake. for this. It's like the the capstone or, or the the. You know what? The, well, hopefully, it's not the peak of cloud accounting. No, no. Like, oh, the bill.com. And <laughs> After bill.com, it just went all downhill from there. <laughs> BC. <laughs> It'll be BC. <laughs> and then, oh, it's some small things. You know, the acquisitions of HubDoc and Auto Entry were pretty major, I Those think, um, by, by major accounting for players. Uh, we had the, the Visor Tax fiasco. It's interesting the amount of fiascos we've had this year. Yeah, a good um, number of them. But they're kind of fun to cover. Like I, I enjoy covering them. Well, and uh, we actually had a listener email us about Visor Tax, a, a not an accountant, but a former customer who used Visor to do his taxes. I hadn't really, you know, thought about Visor in a while. Their their prices have gone up. Did you notice this, David? Three ninety nine is now the base price. Yeah, I think so. It, it, wasn't it at like ninety nine dollars at one point? Right, they had the whole like it was ninety nine yeah. bucks. Well, that and... solves your volume problem, right? If you're not, if you can't handle the volume, you have to raise your prices. So that that's interesting. We'll see. We'll see. We'll we'll keep everybody posted on what happens uh, with Visor uh, in the twenty twenty tax season. In our next episode, we'll do predictions. So this person emailed us, mm-hmm. right? 
So what are all the ways they could get a hold of you, Blake, besides email? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at Blake T. Oliver. And actually, since you mentioned it, David, um, for those who are not into the social media, and I, I totally understand if you aren't, why don't you just email me as well? I'm at Blake at BlakeOliver.com. How about you, David? Um, you can email me. I'm David at DavidLeary.com. I'm on the Twitters, you know, and the social things. You can just find me, David Leary. It's fairly easy. It's fairly easy to find the Cloud Accounting Podcast on all the socials as well. Um, the last other piece of that I think was going to be... Well, if you got some like Visa or MasterCard gift cards, you know, you want to spend that money, you could go to our merchandise store and buy a Cloud Accounting Podcast t-shirt, right, David? Where Where can people do that? You can do that. You can uh, go to our merch store. It's a great gift for your children if they've been awful this these holidays. You know, buy them a Cloud Accounting Podcast shirt. I have to get the picture up. I got all my kids' Cloud Accounting <laughs> Podcast shirts for Christmas. Are they all like the frowning? Limited edition. <laughs> Thumbs but, down. No, it's going to be great. I, I will get a good picture. Good. Like a uh, happy family. And for, uh, so we're going to take the tree down. We should, we'll, just, we'll put up a Festivus poll and then take a picture. The other thing I think people should be aware of is the newsletter, right? If you want to get the show notes oh, directly yeah, yeah. emailed to you. Go to cloudaccountingpodcast.com and scroll down and you'll see a little place where you can subscribe to the newsletter. Join our newsletter, enter your email, hit subscribe. I will period periodically email you out the new episodes. So if, if you're not into the whole listening to podcasts on a regular basis thing, you don't want to miss it, get that. You can listen on your browser, on your computer at work, sort of thing. And the last thing I think is probably to mention that we would love to have a review on either podchaser.com or Apple Podcasts. Yes, please. Get, leave us a review and we will read it on the air. I think that's a wrap, Blake. David, it's been a great decade and a great year, and uh, all the best to you. On to 2020. 